Have you ever climbed up a banyan tree? I'm thinking you haven't. At least I haven't. Here we have Ruskin Bond telling us about all the sights and sounds he witnessed atop the magnificent old banyan tree in his compound. So let me read to you a story about adventures in a banyan tree. Dera was a good place for trees and grandfather's house was surrounded by several kinds. People, neem, mango, jackfruit and papaya. There was also an ancient banyan tree. Though the house and the grounds were clearly grandfather's domain, this magnificent old banyan tree was mine. Chiefly because grandfather at his age of 65 could no longer climb it. In fact, grandmother used to tease him about this and would speak of a certain countess of Desmond, an English woman who lived to the age of 117 and would have lived longer if she hadn't fallen from the climbing an apple tree. The spreading branches of the banyan tree, which curved to the ground and took root again, forming a maze of arches, gave me endless pleasure. The tree was older than the house, older than grandfather, in fact, as old as the town of Dera, nestling in a valley at the foothills of the Himalayas. And this old, old tree became my favorite haunt. I would hide in its branches behind his thick green leaves and spy on the world below. My first friend and familiar person on the banyan tree was a small grey squirrel. Arching his back and sniffing into the air, he seemed at first to resent my invasion of his privacy. But when he found out that I did not arm myself with a catapult or an air gun, he became friendlier. And when I started leaving him pieces of cake and biscuit, he grew bolder and finally became familiar enough to take food from my hands. Before long, he was delving into my pockets and helping himself to whatever he could find. He was a very young squirrel and his friends and relatives probably thought him headstrong and foolish for trusting a human. In the spring, when the banyan tree was full of small red figs, birds of all kinds would flock to its branches. The red-bottomed bulbul, cheerful and greedy, gossiping rosy pastors, the parrots and the crows squabbling with each other all the time. During the fig season, the banyan tree was the noisiest place on the road. Halfway up the tree, I had built a small platform on which I would spend the afternoons when it wasn't too hot. Here I would read my books, propping myself against the bowl of the tree with cushions taken from my drawing room. Treasure Island, Huckleberry Finn, Mowgli stories and the novels of Edgar Wallace Edgar Rice Burroughs and Louisa May Alcott made up my bag of very mixed reading. When I didn't want to read, I would look down through the leaves of the banyan tree at the world below. I would look at grandmother hanging up or taking down the washing, at the cook quarrelling with the fruit vendor or at grandfather grumbling at the hardy Indian marigolds which insisted on springing up all over his very English garden. Usually nothing very exciting happened here while I was in the banyan tree. But on one particular afternoon, I had enough excitement to last me through summer. That was the time I saw a mongoose and a cobra fight to death in the garden while I sat directly above them in the banyan tree. It was an April afternoon and the warm breeze of approaching summer had sent everyone, including grandfather, indoors. 
I was feeling drowsy myself and was wondering if I should go into the pond behind the house for a swim when suddenly I saw a huge black cobra gliding out of the clump of the cactus and making way towards a cooler part of the garden. Now at the same time a mongoose also emerged from the bushes and went straight for the cobra. In the clearing beneath the tree in bright sunshine they came face to face. The cobra only knew too well that the grey mongoose, three feet long, was a superb fighter, clever and aggressive. But then the cobra was also skillful and experienced. He could move swiftly and strike with the speed of light and the sacks behind his long sharp fangs were full of deadly venom. This was to be a battle of champions. Hissing defiance, his forked tongue darting in and out, the cobra raised three of his six feet off the ground and spread his broad spectacled hood. The mongoose bushed his tail. The long hair on his spine stood up. In the past, this very thickness of his hair had saved him from bites that would be fatal to others. Though the combatants were un unaware of my presence in the banyan tree, they soon became aware of the arrival of two spectators. One was a miner and the other a jungle crow. They had seen these preparations for battle and they had settled in on the cactus to watch the outcome. Had they been content only to watch, all this would have been okay. Now the cobra stood on the defensive, swaying slowly side to side, trying to mesmerize the mongoose into making a false move. But the mongoose knew the power of his opponent's glassy, unwinking eyes and refused to meet them. Instead, he fixed his gaze at a point just below the cobra's hood and opened the attack. Moving forward quickly until he was just within the cobra's reach, he made a feint to one side. Immediately the cobra struck. The great hood came down so swiftly that I thought nothing can save this mongoose. But the little fellow jumped neatly to one side and darted in as swiftly as a cobra, biting the snake on the back and darting away again out of reach. The moment the cobra struck, the crow and the miner hurled themselves at him, only to collide heavily in midair. Shrieking at each other, they returned back to the cactus plant. A few drops of blood glistened on the cobra's back. The cobra struck again and missed. Again the mongoose sprang aside, jumped in and bit. Again the birds dived at the snake, bumped into each other and then returned shrieking to the safety of their cactus. The third round followed the same course as the first but with one dramatic difference. This time, the crow and the miner, still determined to take part in the proceedings, dived at the cobra. But this time they missed each other as well as their mark. The miner flew on and reached the perch, but the crow tried to pull up in midair and turn back. In a second that it took him to do this, the cobra whipped his head back and struck with a great force, his snout thudding against the crow's body. I saw the bird flung nearly 20 feet across the garden, where, after fluttering for about a little while, it lay still. The miner remained on the cactus plant, and when the snake and the mongoose returned to the fray, it very wisely refrained from interfering again. The cobra was weakening, and the mongoose, walking fiercely up to it, raised up 
its short legs and with lightning snap had the big snake by the snout. The cobra writhed and lashed about in frightening manner and even coiled itself around the mongoose, but to no avail. The little fellow hung grimly on until the snake had ceased to struggle. He then smelt along his quivering length and gripping it round the hood, dragged it into the bushes. The minas dropped cautiously to the ground, hopped about, peered into the bushes from a safe distance and then, with a shrill cry of congratulations, flew away. When I made a cautious descent from the tree and returned to the house, I told grandfather of the fight that I had seen. He was very pleased that the mongoose had won. In fact, he was the one who encouraged the mongoose to live in the garden so that he could keep away the snakes. He fed the mongoose regularly with scraps from the kitchen. He never even tried to domesticate the mongoose because a wild mongoose is much useful than a domesticated mongoose. From the banyan tree, I often saw this mongoose patrolling the four corners of the garden. And once I saw him with an egg in his mouth and I knew he had been to the poultry house. But he hadn't harmed the birds and I knew grandmother would forgive him for stealing an egg as long as he kept the snakes away from the house. The banyan tree was also setting into what we call the strange case of the grey squirrel and the white rat. Now the white rat was grandfather's. He had bought it from the bazaar for four annas. But I would take it with me to the banyan tree where it soon attracted a friendship with the squirrel. They would go off together on long excursions among the roots and the branches of the old tree. Then the squirrel started building a nest. At first she tried building it in my pockets. When I went indoors and changed my clothes, I would find straw and grass falling out. Then one day, grandmother's knitting was missing. We hunted for it everywhere but without success. Next day I saw something glinting in the hole of the banyan tree. And going up to investigate, saw that it was grandmother's steel knitting needle. On looking farther, I discovered that the hole was crammed with knitting and amongst the wool were three baby squirrels. And guess what? All of them were white. Grandfather had never seen squirrels before and we gazed at them in wonder. We were puzzled for some time. But when I mentioned the white rat's frequent visits for the, to the tree, grandfather told me that the rat must be the father. Actually, rats and squirrels are related to each other, he said. And so it's quite possible for them to have offsprings. In this case, white squirrels. Now, there were so many adventures happening in the banyan tree throughout the year. One only had to look and listen. The banyan tree was a world in itself, populated with small and many beasts and large insects. While the banyan's leaf was still pink and tender, they would be visited by a delicate map butterfly who committed her eggs to their care. The honey on the leaves and edible smear also attracted the little striped squirrels. Redhead parakeets swarmed about the tree early in the mornings. But the banyan tree actually came to life during the monsoon, when the branches were thick with scarlet figs. These berries were not fit for human consumption, but the many birds that gathered on the tree, the gossipy rosy pastors, quarrelsome minas, the cheerful bulbuls and coppersmiths, and sometimes a raucous bullying crow, all of them feasted on these berries.
and when night fell and the birds were resting the dark flying foxes flapped heavily about the tree chewing and munching as they clambered over the branches yes the banyan tree was a noisy place during the rains if the brain fever bird made music by night the crickets and the cicadas orchestrated during the day as musicians the cicadas were a class by themselves all through the hot weather their chorus rang through the garden while a shower of rain from the dampening their spirits only roused them to a greater choral effort the tree tick crickets were a band of willing artists who commenced their performance at almost any time of the day but preferably in the evenings delicate pale green creatures with transparent green wings they were hard to find amongst the lush monsoon foliage but once located a tap on the bush or leaf on which they sat would put an immediate end to the performance at the height of the monsoon the banyan tree was like an orchestra pit with the musicians constantly tuning up birds insects squirrels expressed their joy at the termination of the hot weather and the cool quenching relief of the monsoon a toy flute in my eyes and hands i would try adding up my shrill piping to theirs but they thought pure poorly of my musical ability whenever i piped the birds and the insects fell into a pained and puzzled silence <laughs>